Welcome back to the Youth Bible Monia, day 48. What is truly good and what is truly evil? What do you think these things are? What do they mean? And what is actually the truth of what these things are? Well, we need to figure out in our lives what is good and what is evil so we can decide what we need to do and how we need to act. So how do we sharpen our conscience by God's objective truth? Jesus asked the question in today's passage, which is lawful, to do good or to do evil? I used to be an atheist. I believed that our bodies and our minds and circumstances into which we were born determined all our actions. Logically, it seemed to me, if there is no God, there's no absolute basis for morality. Therefore, following the, this logic, there is no absolute good or evil. Yet, deep down, I knew there was such a thing as good and evil. Even though I did not believe in God, I used those words. However, it was not until I encountered Jesus that I understood that there is a God who's created a moral universe in the Scriptures, in particular in the person of Jesus Christ. The nature of good and evil are revealed. God has given us a conscience so that we know that some things are good and others are evil. But our consciences can be dulled and they need to be sharpened by objective truth. From Proverbs 5 For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. Keep to a path far from her, do not go near the door of her house. Beware of evil disguised as good. All sin involves a kind of deception. It often involves the disguising of evil as good. There is a superficial attraction, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall, and following that path leads to death and the grave. These verses capture both the appeal and the danger of sexual temptation. We live in an increasingly sexualized society, with internet pornography readily available, sexual images all around us, and a culture that encourages us to seek sexual fulfillment. Our sexuality is a God-given blessing. But when used wrongly, it can be destructive and damaging. These verses alert us to the attractiveness of sexual sin, but warn us not to be deceived by it. Keep away from the path you will regret. Keep your distance. Stay out of her neighborhood. If we ignore this advice, we may waste our lives and end our lives full of regrets. Don't flirt with temptation, flee temptation. Joyce Meyer writes, Wisdom is our friend. It helps us not to live in regret. I think the saddest thing in the world would be to reach old age and look back at my life and feel nothing but regret about what I did or did not do. Wisdom helps us make choices now that we will be happy with later. Lord, help me to take wise precautions in order to stay far away from anything that could lead me into sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. New Testament from Mark 2 and 3 Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, 
and on that day they will fast. One Sabbath Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for men, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, He is possessed. So Jesus called them over to him, and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, He has an impure spirit. Decide about Jesus. Good or evil? Who is Jesus? All of us have to make up our minds about Jesus. Was he evil? Was he insane? Or was he God? This is not a new question The people in Jesus' time also had to decide between these three options. Jesus was not just a great religious teacher. He clearly regarded himself as far more than that. Jesus made astonishing claims about himself. Even in this relatively short part of Mark's Gospel, we see a number of such claims. There really are only three options. Either he was evil or insane, or else the claims were true. Was he evil? The teachers of the law said, He's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons he's driving out demons. They were saying he has an evil spirit. Second, was he insane? People were saying about Jesus, he's out of his mind. Third, is he God? Jesus is implicitly saying that he is the bridegroom. He describes himself as Lord, even of the Sabbath. And when the evil spirits cry out, you are the son of God, Jesus did not deny it, but gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. C.S. Lewis sums it up like this. We are faced then with a frightening alternative. The man we're talking about either was and is just what he said or else insane or something worse. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither insane nor a fiend and consequently of a strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem I have to accept the view that he was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. Our decision about whether Jesus is evil, insane, or God has huge consequences. After spending three years with him, his disciples came to the conclusion that he really was the unique Son of God, the Word made flesh, a man whose identity was God. Jesus called them, as he calls us, to be with him and then to take his message to the world. Jesus says to those who are describing him as evil, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Many people have become anxious about this verse, but anyone who's worried about it will not have committed this sin. The fact people are troubled and willing to repent is sure proof that they've not committed it. Those who are repentant will be forgiven. What is referred to here is not the uttering of a sentence, but a fixed attitude of mind. Jesus does not say that they have committed this sin, but warns them of the danger they are in. 
These are not ordinary people. The scribes were duly accredited theological teachers of God's people. They were in daily contact with the word of God. This sin is an attitude that regards good as evil and evil as good. Such a person has sunk to a point where they cannot repent and be forgiven. Also in this category is Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The New Testament assures us that anyone who does repent and turn to Jesus will be forgiven. Jesus, I worship you today as the bridegroom, my Lord and the Son of God. Old Testament from Exodus 21 and 22 Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. You are to be my holy people. Promote good and prevent evil. The people of God drew up rules for their society. Some of the laws may appear very strange or harsh to us. However, if we compare them to the laws of other ancient people, they are remarkably humane. And some of the principles are still relevant today. These laws were designed to limit evil. For example, there is a right to self-defense, but not to use excessive force in self-defense. There is also a prohibition against escalating violence and the provision for an equivalent penalty, life for life, eye for eye, and so on. The law was clearly designed for judges and not for private individuals. It was a guide for judges and sentencing. It was never intended that individuals should exact such revenge. In fact, it was almost certainly never taken literally, except in the case of capital offences. The laws were seen as giving the maximum possible sentence. Penalties were generally replaced by financial fines and damages. To an ancient reader, the emphasis on slaves' rights would have been revolutionary. Masters had to release their slaves after a maximum of six years. And there were strict controls to limit the mistreatment of slaves. There seems to have been a particular concern for the rights of female slaves, who would have been especially vulnerable in the ancient world. They're not to be treated the same as male slaves, but must either be married or allowed to be redeemed. At the same time, the laws of ancient Israel sought to promote good. God said, you are to be my holy people. So there were laws to protect the foreigners, as well as widows and orphans. In tomorrow's passage, we see there were also laws to ensure justice for the poor. Individuals were taught not to seek revenge and not to bear grudges. Rather, they were taught, love your neighbor as yourself. The law helped to build a community that had interdependence and mutual accountability as its basis. Each regulation, however strange, helped the people to learn how to belong together and care for each other. This is a lesson we all need to learn, particularly in the independent and isolated environment of 21st century living. We do not follow rules and regulations just because we have to, but because they help us to treat each person as someone made in the image of God. Lord, help me in my life to avoid evil and to do good. Help me to treat each person that I'm in contact with today as someone made in the image of God with love, dignity, and respect.
Pepper adds, Having read Exodus 21 and 22, which are all about laws to protect society, I'm very glad that in the New Testament, Jesus radically reinterprets the Old Testament and we see him healing someone on the Sabbath. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you that I can rely on you to give me the right answers. Help me to sharpen my mind today based on what you say and what you want. In Jesus' name, amen.